Just Black Talking. Thanks for pressing play. Now, look, this is truly a fantastic episode. I had the pleasure of being a guest on another podcast with my friend and host, Lolita E. Walker. Lolita has a podcast, Coaching, Cocktails, and Conversation, and she was celebrating her one-year anniversary. So kudos to Lolita for one year of consistent and excellent podcasting. This is not an easy thing to do, uh, to keep putting out useful content, engaging content and interesting content. And she's really just mastering this and getting better and better each episode. And so uh, I was very fortunate to be a part of her anniversary edition. Now, before I talk about the episode, let me say a, a few words about Lolita. She is a dynamo. When you hear her voice, you're going to hear enthusiasm and passion. And it's so genuine. It's so infectious. Every time I have a conversation with her or an encounter with her, I always leave at the end feeling better than I did at the beginning. Lolita is on a remarkable journey from industrial engineering uh, and being a boss in corporate America to entrepreneurship. She's giving TED Talks, writing books, hosting her podcast, coaching cocktails and conversations, conducting women's retreats. She's a change expert. The list just goes on and on. So for all things Lolita, go to lolitawalker.com, where you'll have links to order her latest book, The Intersection of You and Change, and find out all the other great things that she's doing, as well as find links to her podcast. Lolita, thank you for your years of friendship and support, and I commend you as you continue to be an inspiration to so many of us. Now, this episode, Inside the Men's Den. So Lolita hosts four men, as we discussed risk, reward, and relationships. We go into affirming our children, our friendships, and support systems. We answer some of her questions about what really goes on in a men's den or a man cave, if you will. It's a fun conversation, as they always will be amongst friends. And we tell some embarrassing and funny stories, all while giving the useful truth as we see it. So sit back and enjoy. And remember, subscribe, go over to lolitawalker.com where you'll find links for all the things you need from her recent books to upcoming women's retreats. All right, thanks. Let's get started with Just Black Talking. Just Black Talking. Hey, 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 this is Lolita E. Walker, and guess what, y'all? It's my anniversary. Yes, one year for podcasting, coaching, cocktails, and conversations. What a show I have for you today. I am so excited. <laughs> this episode here is full of so many laughs. I had a few tears. So much affirmation of Simply Friends growing with each other over time. Keep somebody in your circle that just makes the suggestion that you do the best you can do. We talk about the ups. We talk about the downs. We talk about advice that Black men would give to a single mom. We get into what really goes down in a men's den. How do we hold each other accountable? Who's on your board of directors? We talk about risk, relationships, and reward. I cannot wait to get into this, you guys. It is just so good. Today, I have Dr. Justin Black. 
Lamar Robinson, Alan Boomer, and Mervyn Bourne. So before we get into it, I just want to say hey to all of you all who are returning. I already know you have pulled up your comfortable chair. And for all of you all who are new, hey, y'all, hey. This is Coaching Cocktails and Conversations. Listen, this is a three-part podcast. It is coaching where I leave you with a couple nuggets. Cocktails, not so much about what you're sipping on, but there is absolutely no judgment. It's more about celebrating the greatness of who you are when you show up right here at this kitchen table. And then finally, some good old-fashioned conversations. Sometimes it's just you and I. And other times I have special invited guests. And for this one year anniversary right here, I have the best of the best. And this is one that you do not want to miss. Okay, let's go. Welcome to Coaching Cocktails and Conversations with Lolita E. Walker, the podcast that coaches you up while meeting you exactly where you are. Grab your water, tea, or something stronger and allow this podcast to help you feel the power in your cause. Come on in and join the conversation. Let's go. As always, we start every episode with a powerful affirmation from Walker and Walker Enterprises. Today's affirmation is, I am the friend on your train who will help you drive to your dreams and your destinations. So grab your 40 deck of affirmation cards. Go ahead and go to lolitawalker.com slash shop. And remember, today's episode is a little different. You are getting coaching, cocktails, and conversations all together in this amazing interview that I have done with my friends, Dr. Justin Black, Lamar Robinson, Alan Boomer, and Mervyn Bourne. You ready? Let's go. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Coaching Cocktails and Conversations. I am so excited to have these amazing men with me. We not only are friends in real life, but we met at Morgan State University, the alma mater of the bestesses of the bestesses of the HBCUs. Morgan State (laughs) University. The bears forever. Ever, ever. I love it. So listen, today they have invited me as I have invited them here. I'm in, I'm coming into the Batman cave and I'm kind of excited about it. I'm going to stand on the step though. I'm not going all the way down, but I wanted just to gather this group of men because they are trusted friends of mine. And I thought, why not have some men that I trust that'll go deep and leave some nuggets for us. So that's what we're going to do today. And these are some power folks, y'all. So Lamar, here's the first question. It is. Uh-oh. tell me a little bit about yourself well my name is uh lamar robinson like lolita said i'm a morgan state university grad class of 1998 long story short i am a media professional that dibbles and dabbles in law enforcement do media and public safety at the same time so i've been doing media for about 25 years doing media at different agencies up and down the east coast from all the way from new england to virginia i owe all of my successes my gifts from morgan state university and of course i'm proud to be on this podcast right now thanks 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 we we, we need that safety so we're gonna go right from there to the safety of the finance come on in alan tell us a little bit about yourself and what's going on Lolita, i'm so happy to be here thanks for having me You ask who I am. So I'm a lot of things. I'm a son. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a business owner. But more importantly, I'm your friend. You know, I I say that because we don't have enough as men, enough really strong friendships with women that are really based on just true friendship. You know, and I'll I'll tell you, it's a place of maturity that I've come to where I can have some really, really good friendships with women where it's a complete 
good friendship. I remember back in the day, I used to have relationships with women that were very different than the relationship that you and I have. And I just appreciate you. So I'm, I'm a friend as well. Friend of Lolita, friend of the podcast, huge fan of it as well. Yes. And we're going to talk about your podcast too, because it is hashtag fire digging it. Yes. So Mervin, come on in. Let's get into this. How you feeling? And tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm feeling great. This is, this is a real pleasure and honor to be here. I'm really excited about the way your podcast has just taken off. I mean, it's, it's been fire from the beginning, but I can see the growth is just really, really inspirational. So thank you for having me on your show, Lo. Okay, come through. Absolutely. I wouldn't have it any other way. And you know, we've done some other work together on radio. Um, we sure have. Yes, and video. So yep. we go back long, long time. Yes. Justin, hey. How are you? Justin Black here. Happy to be here, Lolita. Thank you for this opportunity. This is going to be great. I hope that we can hurry up and get into this and start dropping some of these jewels on these people. <laughs> My name is Justin Black. I've been your friend since, do we have to go back that far? No, but, no for real. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you, just like the rest of these brothers here, since my formative years, let's call it, at Morgan State University, currently pay the bills as a medical physician, anesthesiology, also have a burgeoning podcast of my very own, Just Black Talking, which all of you have been so supportive of. And today we're here to support you in this conversation. Now, we did our introductions. We've gotten that out the way. So what we're going to do is just go ahead and go into the Batman cave. I want to talk today about risk. I want to talk about reward. And I want to talk about relationship. The first question I want to ask is, what is a risk that you see within our generation? And that can be anything. If you had to just think about one risk that you want to kind of highlight that you see with our generation and our generation, I mean, generation X, we're this sandwich generation, right? So if you think about it, we have children, we're taking care of our aging parents and we're in the middle. I want to start with Alan. A big risk that we've been taught is around career. Like I, I think our generation was taught to go for careers that are safe, go for careers that pay well, we weren't really taught about going after things that we're passionate about, nor were we taught to take any chances, really. So I think a risk is that there's a lot of us that are unhappy and unfulfilled in our professional lives. And I think it's our, our, our parents' fault. You know, like they, they did the best they could do. Like they, they gave us the advice that their parents probably gave them. But the advice that I'm hoping that we can offer to our kids in the next generation is that they should be pursuing things that, that make them happy, that they derive some joy from. Um, so that's that's my take on risk. Alan, I, I want to jump in and really support that position because that's exactly what I was thinking with this question. The risk is upsetting your loved ones, especially our parents. They have expectations that we follow life in the way that they saw fit for us. Okay, our parents, many of our parents have worked the same job for 40 plus years, and that's their expectation for us. We're caught in this generation of, uh, what are we, Generation X? We're right on the transition point of the old status quo where you, you, know, you did 40 years and got a gold pen and went off to your retirement. And this new era where people spend three or five years at a position and they move on happily and they keep exploring and chasing other things. Part of our risk is just breaking those norms, breaking those expectations, and risking perhaps disappointing uh, your parents. I also want to piggyback on that. I agree with both gentlemen. And also another risk is just navigating through life as young, successful African-American men. In this day and age, as we see what is going on in our society right now, it's been tough on our parents 
to raise successful families. So we are making them proud, but navigating through life with all the obstacles that are against us as African-Americans, that's a risk in itself because we're going against the odds of what we should be. Mm. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Another direction, something that popped into my head was, I feel like with our generation, there was such a focus put on career, achievement and career and achievement and education that there is an extent to which we were taught that if you do that, then you can just create family or get family or have family whenever you want it later. I know there's a lot of us that we jumped right into family soon after college. I don't know if as Gen Xers as a whole, if we really value family like our parents' generation did and the importance of it. I think that there was a lot of a lot of the mentality to, to chase individual success was passed down to our generation because of all of the obstacles that our parents and our grandparents had before them. And they just wanted to see us happy and see us chase our dreams and get as educated as possible. I think somewhere in the middle, there's something that that was missed as a generation. It's funny you bring that up about maybe missing some of the importance of family. But another thing is each one of us here in this discussion has either experienced or is experiencing a total transition from what we thought our careers were in the process. So while we might've been chasing something that was laid out in front of us, and maybe we um, neglected or underappreciated other things like family, we also had something, either lack of fulfillment or lack of satisfaction or just circumstance that has sent us into a different direction professionally as well. And so I I think that those two things are are pretty interesting to look at. Yeah, that was so rich. Let's talk about that leap. Justin, you made a great point about how we each have transitioned somewhere inside of our careers. So me, I started off as an industrial engineer as I graduated from Morgan State University and then did a number of other things. But right now I'm an entrepreneur and never would I have thought that I would be a full time entrepreneur. That wasn't even in a deck for me because my mother and father were not entrepreneurs. It was, hey, you're going to school and you're going to college. But guess what? We don't have any money. So scholarships and grants stay away from loans. This is what your career is going to be. And I think you talked about that a little bit. So Mervin, let's go to you. How have you transitioned from what to what? My transition has been a little different than yours. I never leaped completely away from my main focus, which was law. But one thing I did do is told myself a long time ago that I wasn't going to be restricted to whatever the main way that I pay my bills are. And if I have other dreams and passions, I'm going to absolutely follow them. That led me to doing things like writing my first book. I mean, I'm working on my second book now. And it also led me to create the first documentary I created and to create a pilot for a TV show. Just all of these other things that I'm doing that come from these ideas that I have in my head and things that I have on my heart that I want to make sure I get out to the world you know, during this time that I have here on earth. I'll always be that way. I'll never want to feel restricted and I'll never feel like my value and my worth and my identity is tied up in whatever my job is at the time or or my career path is at the time. Oh, this is so rich. I thought about relationships as you were talking. And when I say relationships, the people in your circle that can give you support on your journey when you decide to leap. Justin, here's the question for you. Whatever leap you've had, since we graduated? There's been probably a number of them, whether personal or professional. What's one leap you have had and how important has it been to have the right people at your playground? Well, you know, 
coming out of school, I went through, I got another couple of degrees and, and went into my professional career. But I think what's most relevant is the leap that I'm currently in the process of. Leaving clinical medicine and going into something completely uncharted is a major leap with a lot of resistance. It's resistance against expectations that I felt were put on me from you know my loved ones, my family. But what's been most surprising to me, and probably it shouldn't have been, but it is, is the support that I have from people around me, like you all. I've spoken to each one of you at a different point uh, when I was getting ready to make these changes and got nothing but support and confidence that exceeded my own confidence in myself at that moment. That was really kind of the lesson that I was learning in this was not just that jumping and leaping from one known to an unknown is frightening and all those other things, but the confidence that other people had in me and the support that they all extended towards me, that was really the lesson. And, and that's really what made me reflect upon everything looking back and say, wow, so much of that support was from my Morgan State family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's go real quick to, to Alan. I have this question. I was on with Sylvia Austin not too long ago, and she talked about this notion of this board of directors. I want to lean into the board of directors because I feel like that's where Justin was going, this support. Who is on your board of directors? Who's at your playground, this support that you lean on when you are making a leap? That's a great question. I was laughing because I'm, I'm changing my outfit several times. And uh <laughs> Thinking we that see y'all, you. y'all, y'all people. Yeah, we that. see you. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about changing. You know, if something ain't right, you gotta change it up. You know what I mean? And I, I just wasn't feeling Don't that. Be so. This is why this is why you was always late to the club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um my personal board of directors, for one, is my relationship with God, I think is a big part of it because I really center a lot of my belief in myself with my belief in God in the sense that. If I believe that God can move mountains and God is inside of me and God has said that as a child of God, I could do all things through Christ. I've got to be able to believe in God and believe in myself. So that's number one. Uh, number two, I've got, I'm really close with my dad. I'm an entrepreneur. That's how I pay my bills. My dad's never been an entrepreneur, but my dad has wisdom from just being in his seventies, from having worked a corporate career, who understands people. He, he's led a church. He's a bishop. So I go to my dad a lot, not for tactical things, but for like high level things. If I'm sad, I, I get depressed a lot and I'll go to pop like, yo, man, I, I'm just not feeling like I can get through this. Like, I know I can get through it, but I'm not feeling like I could get through it. And pop will just kind of lift me up. So he's a big, big part of it. Some of my business partners are, are part of that board because I have elected to be in partnerships with other people because They have certain talents and certain personalities that are different than mine. There are times when I get scared when they feel strong and and vice versa. So I'd say my business partners are a part of it. And then lastly, it's my friends like Mervin, Justin. Like these are folks who I talk to every day, not on the phone. We have a group text. Group text is like our favorite form of social media. We mainly pop jokes and talk trash, but there's some uh, strength in that brotherhood of knowing that. I'm down with some guys that are also going through their own issues. I draw strength from that. Even if it's just laughing and joking, I know I could talk to them about things that I'm going through as well. When you talk about personal board of directors, mine has changed over time. 
as a young man trying to get out there, graduating from college and really trying to find my way and making you talk about transitions. I moved away from my support system, but my board of directors have always remained constant. And I'm talking about Dwayne and Christine Robinson, who happened to be my mom and dad. They have been my go-to for advice still to this day as a man of a certain age in my mid-40s, financially, mentally, just navigating through life with family. My parents have been my foundation, um, my personal board of directors. And still to this day, I, I still go to them for advice. But my personal board of directors now happens to be my family, Jackie, Jasmine, and Cameron. Those individuals are the ones that keep me right, keep me stable, remind me that I am the man, <laughs> you know what I mean? And tell me what I'm doing right, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Those individuals are, are, are important to me. And uh, I think any individual with the family, they will find themselves with a support system that they need to navigate through this thing we call life. My career was focused mainly on the media end, and I still dibble and dabble on that, but due to circumstances, I had to transition to law enforcement. I had to consult with the people around me on how to do that and how to navigate further with my life so I can appease everybody. You know, Lamar, I, you bring up such a good point about the consistency of your parents' guidance and, and support in the close circle. Let me pose this question to everyone. As we have progressed in our lives and in our professional careers and successes, what's the role of shedding friends or inner circles that are no longer additive to your progress? Has anybody experienced that? What's your, what's your view on that? My experience has been that I haven't had to shed anything. And that's twofold. And in one respect, I think people that are not as driven as you are or as focused as you are or as grounded as you are, they just tend to fall away on their own. Um, so I never had to consciously separate myself from people or step away from people or put people outside of my circle. I think going to an HBCU, particularly Morgan State University, I've been gifted with an entire community, um, brotherhood and sisterhood of people that have been my go-to people for the past 20 years or so. To a large part, I haven't had to deviate from that at all. They've been with me. I can call anytime. I can text anytime. I can consult. You mentioned the board of directors. That's a, a major part of my board of directors are either mentors from that university family or people that are closest to me in the world that are also connected to me through Morgan State University. So I, I know that for a lot of people, they actively talk about shedding people and stepping away from negative people. And but But I haven't really had to consciously do that. I want to jump in on that real quick. I'm a person who has a lot of relationships with a lot of people, and I, I used to be like that. I, I would not kick anybody out of my life. I've unfriended two people this week on Facebook, and I, I've never unfriended anybody. What I've realized is two things. One, there's certain people that need to be in certain compartments in your life, and then they might not deserve full access to your life. Even if they want to still be in, sometimes you need to put them in a certain category. If they're not bringing you positivity, if it comes out that they're Intentions are not pure, but I think this notion that everybody gets to come is just not true. You know what I'm saying? And I, I used to not think that. I used to feel like people that were like that were wrong, but now I'm seeing it. There's legitimately some people that the more they're in your life, the more they're going to kind of bring you down in one way or the, the other. And they need to either be completely cut out or they need to be put in a small box. 
just to piggyback on that, it's exactly what I was going to say. There was an old adage that says there's people in your life for a reason, a season, and a lifetime. So you just got to choose those people in your circle wisely. You know, I love this conversation. I had a whole podcast episode on, on this right here. And this is what I believe. Imagine each of us are the conductor aboard our own train, right? Now, this is a fly train, okay? So Lolita is standing at the at the top and I'm the conductor aboard my train. And on the side of this luxury train, it's my name written in script, beautiful. It says Lolita, just how I want it. This luxury train, all the amenities there. The people that I have on my train are the people that's riding with me right now. But when I'm at the front and I'm looking out and I look at my vision, is it clear or is it blurry? And I'm asking that because I firmly believe that it starts with us. It starts with where are we going so that then we can assess are the people there going to help us or hurt us along this journey? Because where you're going is important to you. So you got to recognize, is it blurry or is it clear and get that stuff clear first? And then I believe that sometimes along your journey of life, right, when you are the conductor aboard your train, you have to choose when you are going to make a stop and let people off of your train. Because everybody doesn't deserve to be on there with you. Quite frankly, with personal development, like we all getting older, right? We talked about the sandwich generation. We're getting older, we're getting wiser, we're doing coaching. We're doing a whole bunch of stuff to build ourselves up. Sometimes other people are not. And therefore, they don't see the newness that we see when we clear our lenses. I hope this is making sense, right? So sometimes we have to let people off of our train. And sometimes that, that, that feels hurtful. And it's okay because then we could choose. They might be all right. A couple stops up. They might've got their stuff together and we can pick them up. Sometimes people opt to get off of our train. They pulled a little thing down and they're like, I want to get off that train. And we got to know that that's okay. I love this, you know, notion of it's a, a reason, a season and a lifetime. And it's up to us to choose. And sometimes it comes with guilt, but quite frankly, where we're going, we need the right people on our train because we only have a limited amount of seats. Sometimes we take those lessons from the people that have been on our train and we say thank you. And the other ones we leave at the bus stop. I say that having had to let some people off of my train. It takes a long time to get over. It does. For me, it did because they were so close. But what I had to recognize is what is the value that they're bringing to me at this time? And what value am I offering them, quite frankly? And if it doesn't match the vision of where I'm going, then I might see them later. I I think um, I'm kind of in between with both. Some of what everyone has said. And, you know, Mervyn brought up the fact that his network has been tight enough and productive enough that he really, that circle has been constant. For myself, I think a lot of that is true, but I've, I've never had to actively ask anybody to get, get off. It just seemed to naturally occur. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the further I pushed and the more success I experienced, people who weren't keeping pace mm-hmm. seemed to just naturally fall back. It was, there's no love lost. But the encounters and the engagement seemed to become less and less frequent because, frankly, we had less and less in common to discuss and to share. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, and sometimes it, people also, they self-select, like you mentioned a minute ago, on the way to get off the train. Mm-hmm. I found that sometimes people will fall away because they're not comfortable standing too close to you. Maybe they feel like your light is too bright. You know, I think that that's unfortunate sometimes when that happens. But sometimes people see you. And they're inspired by being around you. They're motivated by being around you. And sometimes people are just uncomfortable. I've had to learn over time that that's actually not my problem or my issue. If somebody's uncomfortable because of my positivity or uncomfortable because of my drive or because of my vision um, or because of the clarity that I have, you know, I don't always have it. 
but I actively work to seek and maintain clarity and vision and focus. And I'm always, I'm constantly trying to be better, be a better person, be a better father, be a better friend, be better in in my career. When you're around people that are constantly pushing themselves to be better, people that are really self-critical of themselves in a really honest way, people that are not those things tend to self-select to fall back, like Black said earlier. You know, um, it's a choice in a lot of degrees. In, In this collection of friends that we have, when I see somebody pushing forward, I feel like I got to keep up, you know? So instead of self-selecting myself out of the conversation or out of the atmosphere, I feel like, all right, these guys are doing more, doing better. I've got to step up as well because this this is a never-ending journey, right? The sharks never stop swimming. So we got to keep going. I can't sit still and watch everything pass me by. I, I heard something yesterday from good brother Ricardo. He said, you have to take the opportunity of a lifetime during the lifetime of the opportunity. Mm. He hit me with it in that slick way that he hits me with everything, but it made me think for a minute. It's really important that we stay aware of where we are in our journeys, where we want to go, and that we keep pushing and moving forward. And and as we started this conversation with having support of people who are in your corner and and have something to offer seems invaluable. And also being open to to criticism because sometimes we're slipping, right? And and that's been super valuable for me is being around brothers like the ones on this line right now who are receptive to me saying, "Don't do that. You messing up right now," or "That's that's a bad move. I, I wouldn't do that if I were you for these reasons." And I'm open to the same criticism and the same critique. We're always sharpening each other and making each other better, but we're we're also very conscious of the fact that. We make mistakes and we mess up and we don't always make the right moves. And we always have room and, and areas of our lives where we can be growing. People that are not open to that kind of criticism and critique and, and testing, they're not going to be comfortable around you because that's just not where they are in life at the time. Lolita, I know you want to move on, but I think this point that Merv is making is really big because there's a lot of us, we're mostly in careers and doing things that our parents didn't do. Lawyers, doctors, businessmen, media personalities, our our parents were not that. Because of that, we're kind of in uncharted territory where we're trying to figure it out on our own without an example, really. So it becomes incumbent upon us to really be coachable and to ask for help. But what you find is that there's some people that are in competition with you. There's some people that are not coachable because they think they've got it all figured out. And when y'all talk, it's like, because they want to tell you all of the great stuff they're doing, not because they're trying to get better. You know what I'm saying? And so I think going back to this point of having a, you know, a village around you, a a boards of directors, you got to have people that, that really care about you, that you can take advice from and give advice and realizing that nobody stands to to gain unless we all kind of gain. I totally agree with you, Alan. It definitely takes a village. Without a doubt, because nobody or no one on this podcast has done it by themselves. And with that, you're right. We all lost some friends along the way. We all gained some friends along the way. But throughout life, people are going to come in out your life for a reason or a season and maybe for a lifetime. Everyone serves a purpose. I'm welcoming the journey. I really am. This is so good because as we were talking about it, I'm still on the same topic too. I thought about the reason that I asked you for 
to come on a podcast together is because the relationship that I see amongst you four specifically as Black men inside of this society is one that hasn't been broken over years. And the reason why I wanted to talk this risk, this reward, and this relationship is really because if you just look at the news, you wouldn't even recognize that there were these type of relationships that were happening. There were these type of risks that were being discussed so that we didn't take bigger risks than what we were really ready and prepared for at the time. And if we did, there's not a lot of publicity that shows that there is this train of folks around you, this board of directors who will check you when the time is right. That was important for me to showcase. And then the second and Mervin and um, Alan, I'm going to give you a quick heads up. I want y'all to tell the story because I love it about when y'all were in the dorm room and you all were doing your vision. Think about that. Which one are y'all going to tell it? While I say this story is that I feel like y'all really get it when it comes to at least me anyway, or our group of friends. Each of you all on this call literally have seen me cry. I might cry right now. Um, have seen me go through so many things. Like when my father passed away. Lamar was one of the first people to call me. I don't even think we were on the phone for more than two minutes. All he said to me was, do you want a police escort for your father? That's all he said. And it was there. That type of support. Justin has called me before just to check on me. And he said, no, I don't want to know about what's really going on with the business. No, I want to know what's going on with you. Right. Alan has hired me to do work with this company. You know, me and Mervin were together when we said, hey, we should really do something and be in a podcast space, but really do it out loud where people could see us. And we went in on that together. It's just a partnership of having people in your corner relationship is this risk. It's this reward. It is for having people along the way with you. That's going to check you when things are not going right and let you know, like you better than that. Like, what is it that you're doing right now? Stop. And let's talk about this. I just wanted to say thank you to each of you all because we're better as a collective. Thank you for having us, just bringing us together and people like us and circles like this do exist. We really are responsible for creating our own narratives and complain all day about the narratives that are put out there. Um, you know, when I flip on, you know, Instagram or Facebook and I see people that look like us talking negatively about us, it is really disheartening. And, and discouraging. We do have to create our own narratives. Yeah, there are always things that need to be improved about us and there are conversations that need to be had. Let's have those conversations in a way that is fruitful and productive. There's really no separation amongst us. Men are only as successful as our women. Our women are only as successful as our men. A lot of us, even the educated and professional among us, still don't really get that. From knowing you, Lolita, that you get that. And so I really take my hat off to you for bringing us together because it's, it's brave for you to do. And it also shows, more importantly, that you care. You actually care. Care what we think. You see us as valuable, not because we can do something for you or give things to you. You see us as valuable for who we are, for the kind of people we are, for what we think. You're listening to our voices and that is so, so beautiful coming from, from you, not just as a woman, but a black woman and as our sister. So thank you. Thank you. Let me just make this point real quick, Alan. I know you got to get in here, but let me just say this. This is what men do. We take care of our own. 
it doesn't matter if you're in our household, if you are in our circle, we take care of our own. That's what a man does. You know, that's our responsibility. You know what I mean? If you're going through something, we are there. If you are having a great time in your life, we're going to be there. You know what I mean? If you got through difficult, stressful times, we got you. You know why? Because that's what men do. And that's what we have to do as black men to change the narrative of what the mainstream has us as. We're not thugs. We're not individuals in the streets that come from savage households. We're not any of that. So we have to change the narrative. And I think this is the generation to do that. I just want to say this. this is the, the demographics of this conversation is you got four married men with their single homegirl. And we all have a really great relationship with you, Lolita. And our relationship is steeped in actual friendship. And I think like for some reason, there's this notion that when you're a married man, you can't have single homegirls anymore. Or if you're a single woman, you shouldn't be hanging out with married men. It ain't about that. It's about us as people. And I think we as a people need to have an embrace of, of relationships and friendships despite your marital status and to keep it on the up and up. I think it's a sign of maturity. Like there was a time in my life where we couldn't have this type of friendship. Like not, it wouldn't have been as professional if we were in college with this sort of relationship, but this level of maturity can exist. And I think it does. And I think that more people should be open to this type of friendship. I think what we're talking about for me, the way I tie all this together, whether we're talking about your circle and who stays in and who goes out and who supports you and it's love. It's surrounding yourself with genuine love, people who love and support you and care for you. You know, Lamar brings it up. This is what men do. You stepping on my own podcast topic, Lamar, because I think it's something to highlight these days is the emergence of the comfort amongst us as Black men mm-hmm. of saying, I love you. Okay. And that's something that's come with maturity, come with age. You know, we used to just shake hands and hug and, all right, bro, I see you. But more and more, we share, I love you. We're seeing our mortality. We're seeing our successes and our failures. And we see the power and the support that reaching out to one another and letting each other know that you matter really means. And it really doesn't change men to women. Lolita, as you mentioned, each one of us, we we reach out to each other. We check on each other. We've had shared experiences. There's divorces that have been here. We check on each other. We get guidance from each other. Did you feel this way? Did you go through this? That's part of what the village is. And, and I know a lot of folks think that, you know, that village talk is, is old school and it doesn't exist anymore in our society, but it really does. You just do it through text. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Oh my gosh. We have, we have covered so much. I love it. So we could go all night because, you know, that's just what we do. But I mm-hmm. do want to ask a couple of questions, but, but before we get to this part that I call come as you are. Alan and Mervin to just tell this story because I think it's so amazing. So which one are y'all going to do it? Can I also tell how Merv changed my life or no? Yeah. No. Feel no. free. You absolutely can tell it. No, because one of y'all was sitting without a shirt on. I know one of y'all had no shirt on. I know it. <laughs> All right. Let, let me first tell the story of how Merv changed my life. And then Merv, why don't you tell tell this spreadsheet story? Is that cool? Lolita, is that? Yes, can we that do sounds that? amazing. Yeah. I can't wait. And, yeah, you just fill in my blanks in case I can right. Cool. So Merv and I were, we became college roommates in our junior year. And uh, we were both in a, in a scholarship uh, program at Morgan where we had to maintain a 3.0 GPA. For two years in college, I did my absolute best to 
try to make sure my GPA was as close to 3.0 as possible without going over. And when I'm when Merv became my roommate, he just happened to talk about his report card that semester. And he's like, I, I got a 3.9. And I'm like, 3.9? Like, dude, you're tripping. Like that extra 0.9 could have been partied. That 0.9 could have been used way better than in schoolwork. <laughs> And Merv said to me something that nobody had ever said to me in life. And I know this is going to sound silly. <laughs> Merv said, why don't you do your best? I'm like, my best? Like, what is that? And Merv said, yo, I'm just doing my best. I'm like, your best? Like, nobody had ever told me in life that I should try to do my best. And so Mervin born, I'm 20 years old. And I'll tell you, ever since then, everything I do, I try to do my best. And the results that I've gotten out of life have gotten so much better. And like my GPA went from exactly a 3.0. I think I graduated with a 3.3. I had some semesters where I got a 3.6, 3.7. And I thank Merv for that. You only got a 3.7? You're welcome. That's a great story. That's, that, that's a great story. No, it's a beautiful story, was, man. They have so many. Yeah. And, and Mervin has affected all of, well, I can't speak for everybody, but he affected all our lives, my life in a similar fashion, but that's a story for another time. But it's a beautiful story and it's, it's, <laughs> it's worthy of being shared because it shows, again, if we go back to our circles, keep somebody in your circle that just makes the suggestion that you do the best you can do, right? Like you don't want to do this like, wow, don't do your best. Like who, who wants that guy in his, in his corner? <laughs> that, 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 person, that, person, that person that you speak of that doesn't want you to do your best want you to be on the same level down where they are because they want you to be with them. You know what I mean? They don't want you to succeed in life because they feel inadequate with themselves at the risk of sounding like the former first lady, be best. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I, I had heard that story before, except for the piece about, I just want to make sure I understood your mindset. It was like, I want to get as close to a 3.0 and not go over. Like, wasn't yes. that work? That was more <laughs> Like, who thinks that way? He, he didn't want the wasted effort. I, 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 I wanted no point. The bare minimum. I wanted, he wanted the bare I, minimum. I, I understand. It was time to succeed and partying at the time. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I get it. But also, there, there's, there's a mindset that that we, I think we were taught coming up, and, and I always like had this inner fight against it, that you either are one of the cool kids, or you're an athlete, or you're a nerd, or... Like there's a box for you. And I've always been in all of the boxes. So to me, like when I went to Morgan, it was just natural. Like I don't have to pick, like I can play sports and I can get good grades and I can go to parties. And why do I have to be in a box? And I think that unless that, I don't think that was the common, you know, mindset at the time. And so I think a lot of us went to college with that mindset. Okay. What box am I going to be in? What kind of student am I going to be? Am I going to be one of the cool kids? That hangs out on the bridge all day and maybe I go to class and maybe I don't go to class or am I a jock, you know, whatever the, the, the stupid box is, but we don't have to subscribe to boxes. And I think that, you know, we've all evolved to a place where we don't believe in any of that. You know, we, we are who we are. We, we do what we want to do. We achieve as much as we want to achieve in every area of life that we want to do it. In. If y'all believed in that, you would have dropped me back when I was wearing matching <laughs> outfits with my girlfriend at the time on campus you'd be like we can't hang with this cat because he's in the wrong box hey I, we was fly though don't give me that we was fly 
I'm pretty sure I clowned in the winter. Nah. Oh, awesome. no, no, no. There was heavy clowning that went on. I, I don't know that. anybody was wearing matching outfits with their girlfriend. Oh, man. Yeah. He's, he's, on, he's on this phone in the, in the lower right box. Right now. <laughs> hey, all I'm going to say is I met you after that. You haven't seen <laughs> up already because we would not be friends to this day. I think I would have discriminated against Lies. Lies. <laughs> well, one day, Lolita, you, you asked about the, the spreadsheet story. So one day, Alan sent me this spreadsheet, and it was an Excel spreadsheet that was broken down into all these different levels and columns and categories. And I was like, what the hell is this, man? It was broken down by like income, education, family. And then it was like one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. And Alan was like, fill up, fill out this spreadsheet and send it back to everybody so we can have accountability. And I literally had to sit there and plug in what degrees do I want to have by when? How much money do I want to be making in five years, 10 years, 20 years? And I was like, wow, that for me, that was life changing. Um, just the whole idea that you could plan out your life in that way to that degree. That for me was my very first exposure to the concept of creating your own reality. Until then, I hadn't really heard it. I was, you know, going through, you know, doing my best as I'm going through. But the, but the very idea that you could actually decide to be something, decide to have something, decide to make a certain amount of money or attain a certain level of education, and then do it, because you decided it five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago was completely alien to me, but it's still to this day, one of the most powerful things I've ever heard in my life. So I, I, owe, I owe that to you. So thank I you. I appreciate, appreciate that. I, I'll jump in just on a spreadsheet. It was seven years though. It wasn't 20. I think you probably took it to 20. It seemed like 20. Always... <laughs> now the reason it was so many, the reason it seemed like it was so many boxes because we broke it down like semesters. So we have winter, spring, summer, fall type of thing. We had okay. it kind of like semesters. The crazy thing about that, so it was me, Merv, and my other homeboy that went to Hampton. And the final box for all of us, because we were 23, the final box was like age 30. Merv's thing was, I want to be, I think it was a lawyer. I wanted to be married with a, as a homeowner with two kids. My box, become a, a vice president at a bank. And then ultimately start a business. And my other homeboy, it was like something similar. Like I want to uh, ascend the corporate ladder and start a business. And the crazy thing is, because Merv, Merv was at my 30th birthday party. When we put down the spreadsheet at 23, we literally all laughed at each other. We were like, really? You think you're going to do all that? And what's crazy, my 30th birthday party, I had just in December made vice president at my firm. And my income was higher than what I wrote down on that paper. All of us were homeowners. All of us were fathers. All of us had kids. All of us had successful uh, marriages at the time. And it's like, man, the things that seemed audacious when we first wrote them down, funny even, it turned out that we we eclipsed all that stuff. Murph talked about um, just deciding. like it, We decided, but we also did the work. We also had the faith that it could be accomplished. It made me think about, man, I wish I had written down some better stuff. Like if we had written down some better stuff, there's no telling what we could have gotten to. And that's my big thing that I try to share with, <laughs> with everybody. Write down some audacious, some better stuff that you thought would be like, this is never going to happen, but I would love for it to happen because I, the way God works, 
it will all come true if you put in the effort and believe. Absolutely. You know, that's that power. And we might have to get back together for part two, but that is the power of visioning. That's the power of manifesting. It first starts with one, imagining it, but writing it down and posting it somewhere, acting in it, believing it, trusting it and seeing it because all of this really spawns upon accountability ownership of it and surrounding yourself with people who are going to continuously push you. So I love that. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So here's the thing. This is what I want to do now. I can't have four amazing black men and we not talk about what's going on in America, in the world with black men. And also we don't have that kind of time though. I know we're not going to talk about it all, but we got to at least touch on it specifically. Merv said we can't talk about Lamar job. <laughs> <laughs> That was on a rider. That was on a rider. <laughs> that was on my rider with my skills. Yeah. Talk about this shit. <laughs> okay, okay. I have an eight-year-old son, you know, a single co-parenting mom. I see you all and I see the amazing work that you're doing in the community. I see the work that you're doing in the world. I see this camaraderie of friends that are holding each other down around and side to side. So what's one thing that, and I'm going to go around here, but what is one thing that you would say to remember of raising a black son. So let's start with Justin. Raising a son is a special task. I have daughters, three of them. You know, there was a point in time in my life where, you know, I I really kind of lamented not having a son and what that really meant. And so I I had to approach it from the opposite direction and say, okay, I know what I would want to teach my son and what I would want to be relevant for him. So I have to come at this from the other angle and teach these daughters, what's important about their existence, their blackness, their role in the community, and their relationship to black boys and black men as they grow up. But for you, as a single mom raising a son, what's most important is to demonstrate that masculinity is okay. And I don't mean in this toxic bravado way of, you know, busting through walls, but much like Lamar mentioned earlier, being a man and demonstrating strength is largely an emotional endeavor. It's largely a commitment to the things that are important in life, whether it's your friends, your family, but it's being accountable, it's being consistent, and it's being dependable to the people in your life. As a mom, if there's limited resources around or limited Black male role models around, it's very important for you to celebrate when you see strength, genuine strength from Black men, and identify that to your son and say, This is part of what your reality and your existence can be and should be. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a different way to look at to look at this. There's I mean, there's so many different things. And I know some of the other brothers are going to touch on them. But I offer that as a father of daughters. I love it. No, thank you. I'm going to go to Lamar next. I, too, am a girl dad (laughs) with two daughters. But I would say this. Show compassion and empathy towards your son. Be honest and truthful with him, show love as a mother with strength. And most importantly, as he gets older, listen, because navigating through life as a young African-American man in this country can have its challenges. And sometimes men need outlets to express themselves, to get things off of their chest that you may think may be aggressive, but he just needs that release. Sometimes that release is all the thing he needs in the world just to make him feel better. If he can do that with his mom, that just takes it over the top. 
Young Walker's going to be all right. Thank you. Thank you. And I know I got a strong force behind me. Alan, what's your what's your nugget for me and, and other women who are listening in? Yeah, so I, I have uh, both. I have two boys and a girl. I, I try to teach them a lot of the same things. My daughter is the one I think I worry about the most. And I think it's because she's got the opposite sex than me. Just like I'm sure for you, Lolita, because your son is the opposite sex from you. Um, you probably worry about him more than you might worry about if you had a daughter. For me, I try to teach my kids to care about themselves and others, their, their siblings. I always say like, if one of y'all is crying, I expect to see two of y'all patting them on the back and making sure that they're okay. Um, but I just try to teach my kids to be confident and to really believe in themselves. I try to make sure that they don't accept excuses in their own lives or excuses from other people. It's the one thing that'll get you in trouble in my house is to say, I can't do something. Another thing is if you say I would have, but somebody else didn't do something like I I want you to understand that. Yes, it's difficult to be black. It's difficult to be a black woman or a black man, but there are certain things that you've got to do. Mm-hmm. No matter what the world th- throws at you, no matter what, like examples of things I do with my son, he wakes himself up in the morning. He sets his own alarm clock. He makes his own lunch. He makes his own breakfast. And if he doesn't do it, then he doesn't go to school. And if he doesn't go to school, he knows the other ramifications from that. I think a lot of times, and I'm, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but I think a lot of times we do more for our kids than we should. Like, I think they need to understand how to do some stuff for themselves. And they also need to understand that when things don't go right, they've got some accountability. You can't wait on other people to do stuff for you. Like my son, I'm really upset with him, my oldest right now, because there's a summer program where he could go um, to a college campus and learn filmmaking and all these different things that he's interested in. We gave him the application. He never filled it out. So he's not going. It's like, dude, a lot of other parents would have filled it out for him. A lot of other parents would have kept saying, hey, don't forget, don't forget. I'm like, dude, I gave it to you. And I said, I've got the money for you. You said you want to do this, but you didn't sign up for it. So now go cut the grass. And and so I think the biggest thing you can do is to let them know that their actions have consequences and that you can't make excuses for them because the world's not trying to hear a bunch of excuses. My dad used to always tell me excuses only satisfy the person that's making them. And your kids need to understand that male or female. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then Mervin, come on and round us out with this question right here, because I think the power of your book will offer us a nugget that we could kind of take away today. Thank you. I mean, I agree with everything that's been said so far. I would add to that for you, Lolita, to protect and honor the image of the Black man for your son. You are setting the barometer for how your son will feel about himself, how your son will feel about women how he will feel about Black women. And I think a lot of moms underestimate the impact, the lifelong impact that the things that they say about men, particularly if you're a Black mother raising a Black son, the things you say about men, the things you say around him, the things you and your your girlfriends say about men around him, the way he sees you treating men and referring to men, those things shape us as boys and as teenagers into manhood. Always make sure that no matter what your personal life experience has been with what you're going through at the time in the world or in life or how you're feeling a particular day or week, as difficult as that may be, make sure that you're always protecting and honoring 
the image of Black men for your son, because in many, many ways, the world is doing their best to tear that down. The internet is tearing it down. Social media is tearing it down. Our music and our movies are tearing it down. Parents have an uphill battle as, as far as protecting and honoring that image for our children. If you're a single parent who is tasked with raising a young boy into a man, I would implore you to make it a top priority of yours to honor and protect that image. Hey, can I can I add one more thing, Lolita? Absolutely, right after this small break. <laughs> are you ready to shift to the next level so that you can stand in the greatness of where you are today? Are you ready to soar differently? Yep, I'm talking to you, you right there. Because what you know right now is that there is more for you. Absolutely. But listen to me when I tell you this right here. There is more in you. These are great nuggets for you to get every other week. Absolutely. When you are ready, consider Walker and Walker Enterprises for your personal, corporate, and executive coaching, consulting, and your speaking needs. It's time to act. It's time to acknowledge the gaps that exist. Concentrate on what needs to be done right here and right now to ensure your future success and tackle what is inside of your control. And what is inside of your control is to absolutely get the accountability that is going to move you forward. LolitaWalker.com One thing that I think you've done really, really well with Walker is you've got these affirmations that he reads every morning. Can you just say those affirmations? I think they're great. I am great. I am strong. I'll try to focus all day long. I am special. I am me. Today I'll be the best that I can be. I honor my name, Walker GB. I'm not a follower. Instead, I'll lead. I'm a child of God. I'll do what's right indeed. I'm excellent. I'm allergic to average, and I'll try to do my best all day long. Nothing can stop me from being the best. Even when I fall down, I'm still better than the rest. That last section right there, he added himself. About once a year, we say this affirmation, and I'm like, hey, you know, it's always the same format. It's always the same thing, but we might switch a lineup. So I'm so proud of him. And that's what he says every day. Yeah, I just think that it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. And the thing about what you've done with that is you put yourself inside of him and there's going to be times where he gets jammed up and he'll go back to that. He won't believe the lies that are being told by the world. He won't be afraid because he'll know that this is what is true. This is what my mom and I have been working on for years. I just think it's a beautiful thing. You, you know what? Kids need to be reaffirmed sometimes, man. And they need that self-assurance. And by you instilling that into him, he's going to carry that into manhood. And it's going to build a confidence in him like you've never seen before. So I'm glad that you started giving him affirmations as a youngster. I really am. Helping him become self-directed, that's part of being that single mom raising a boy to a man. Okay, I mean, it's such a difficult question to ask. Each one of us has a different perspective. I I didn't have a single mother. I had a mother and a father. Right. So my perspective is different than, you know, one of my brothers here, like Mervyn, who had mostly his mom present. But given that confidence, given that self-assuredness at such an early age, you know, because all these things, it takes a long time for us to really believe the the things in our head. Right. So starting him off with something that's so positive and and affirming is, is nothing but good for him to help him become the man that you hope and dream that he will be. No, thank you. You know, what's interesting is that we all have self-limiting beliefs, right? And I help people within what I do 
remove their self-limiting beliefs and their doubts and their fears. And one of the things, you know, one of the questions was, what's one of the barriers that is still standing before you today? I don't know that it's so much of a barrier, but a limiting belief that sometimes I'm wondering, am I doing enough? Because I was raised in a dual household. My mom and my dad were here. So a divorce, being a single mom, seeing your son every day is very different for me. So sometimes that thing comes and it's like, are you doing enough? You know, this a boy, et cetera, et cetera. But what I do within that affirmation is that it also affirms me. So what I'm able to do with him when he comes home for school and you, you get a grade that come on. I'm like, wait, what did you affirm to yourself this morning? What did you declare? We are allergic to average. So that's, is that average behavior? You know, just replaying his words to him so that he remembers that this is a declaration to you from you. And you got to take this stuff seriously so that when people come at you with their limiting beliefs and trying to put that on you, you're like, well, hey, hold up, wait a minute. And that's too, I, I forgot who talked about it, but just this faith, the foundation that you stand upon. And one thing I'm really proud of for Walker is that he is such a strong prayer warrior. I mean, that boy goes in when we do our nighttime prayers and I love it. And what I've recognized that he does is he listens to other people praying. He listens and he really pulls it to himself. So I, I'm really proud of him for um for that piece right there too. So yeah, those are the deposits that you are instilling in him that he's going to carry into manhood. So kudos go out to you. Thanks, y'all. Love you. All right. What is one strength that you have right now, but didn't always recognize was a strength? Honestly, it's support. My personal confidence has always been something that kind of wavers. There's a baseline level of confidence I have. You know, I believe I can do and accomplish things, but it's really not been until I was, I think, doing things that I wasn't sure was the right lane for me. It's one thing to go to school if that's the expectation. And it may be impressive in its own right, but if that's the expectation, you feel like you're in your right lane. At least I did. So when I'm going outside of that, it almost feels like I'm branching out into something that I don't belong in. Now, the reality of that is different, whether I belong or not, but that was my feeling. The biggest strength was support because that support translated into confidence. You know, it's weird when you look at someone else and they have so much confidence that you're going to succeed in something. And you're, then you have to question why you didn't have the same level of confidence. All in keeping with what we've been discussing throughout this entire discussion, having people who genuinely love me around me and genuinely see my strengths and my weaknesses around me to support me and encourage me has made all the difference in the world and pushed me farther than I think I would have pushed myself at the time. I love that. Thanks so much, Justin. Can I tell y'all a crazy story about Lamar? Yeah. So... I own a handful of dry cleaners, one of which is very close to Lamar's home. And I get a frantic call from my manager one day like, hey, we ruined somebody's dress and they know you and it's for the gala and y'all are sitting at the same table. I'm like, oh, we got to get this brother a new dress. (laughs) It was for his wife. Let's quantify. I'm about to say, let's quantify that. Yeah, the dress is for Jack. (laughs) <laughs> it wasn't for Lamar. Sorry. I don't, I don't remember that year. Yeah, I don't remember that year, Lamar, when you had a dress. <laughs> we don't know if it was for Lamar or his wife, but I do know it was important. So we got it fixed. So Thanks. so let's get it right. So he walked up in there name dropping. Y'all gonna mess up my dress? No, you know who I am? <laughs> no. So what happened was Jackie got came, Corey Allen, call your friend. Don't even call your friend. <laughs> You know, I got to be 
oh man, let me call Alan. Hey, Alan, you know, this is what happened, and blah, 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 blah. blah. But he made it right for me, and I, we really do appreciate that. Who got fired in front of you? <laughs> <laughs> Alan did Nobody. not find that funny. He did not laugh. Yeah. Cost him a lot of money to replace that jersey. <laughs> no, well, we had I, we well, had to buy a, buy a new dress. Gave her some cash to go get another one. Like we couldn't fix it fast enough. It was the same day as the gala, right? I either the same day or the night before, or something like that. Yeah, like I said, yo, I really we really do appreciate that, man. That, that and was, I will. Uh, I, yeah, I will say she looked lovely that night. She's always, <laughs> she's always looked terrific. She's always looked terrific. And in retrospect, she owes that to you, Alan, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, how about to say? Yeah, so Lamar should be thanking you, really. And thankfully, I had the foresight to have my business ruin that dress. <laughs> she looked nice that night. That, that was the year Lamar said that her dress was terrible, and you updated. It. <laughs> that was wasn't that that no, that wasn't that year. <laughs> it's nothing like being in a man's yeah. head. It is nothing oh, like being in a man's head. Oh, you know, Lolita, Lolita. But, hey, real quick, what do you, women you got, think the man's go. cave is about? Like, you guys really think a whole lot goes on in the cave that may or may not be going on. Well, as I take on all women, clearly, in order to answer mm-hmm. this question, mm-hmm. all of them. What I will tell you is that I think, real talk, I think that it's this type of talk. Now, I do think that there are some other things that are being talked about, but I, I, I respect the man cave. I think we all need. Like what? What do I, I? How did the interview switch to me? <laughs> OK, yeah, I think that there are I'm not talking for all women, but I'm talking for me. I think that it's a space where you could talk about issues that's going on, whether it be homework or life. I think you could just chill with your boys. I think it's a place where you could be like, yo. My, this is going on with my wife. Hey, we got a trip coming up. Let's get together. Hey, I got this thing going on at work. Let me know something. I think it could also be, you know. Like a barbershop. Barbershop. That's good. Exactly. Just hey, like it's cool. It's cool, y'all. She don't know. Just keep it You right, Mo. You yeah, right. You got it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly all of that. You got it, babe. Yeah. I think there's a back door. I think there's a lot of liquor happening. Oh, it's a ba- it's, it's a back door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the hell y'all be talking about, but I do think it's some of the stuff y'all talked about today, honestly. But I think there's some other shenanigans that go on too. I think within this little group text, there might be there might be some shenanigans. It's, it's a lot of truth telling going on that, yeah. that that can only be that can only be told in fully male service. Yeah. I think it's okay. I have no problem with it because I feel like girls need a girl vacation every year too. Absolutely. And hands down. And if your, your wives don't have girl vacations with their girlfriends without y'all, y'all need to be like, we'll go to the hotel, like do something. And then wait a minute now. (laughs) We got to talk about these girl vacations. Because we don't want to fly away with no Dexters. You know what I mean? Y'all got to be secure. <laughs> y'all got to be securing yourselves first. They're not, they're not uh, going to leave you for Dexter. They know Dexter don't love them. Oh, they know you love don't have no job. Not like you do, Lamar. They know Dexter don't have no job. <laughs> yeah, Dexter don't have no job. <laughs> so she'll be back. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I'm the financier, right? There you go. She, I'm, she I'm glad back smelling like Dexter, but she coming back. <laughs> okay, rounding it out. <laughs> so this question is to Merv. What is one barrier that still stands before you today? I would say my barrier is myself. Figuring out more deeply who I am. Um, what my weaknesses are, what my strengths are, 
and conquering myself um, because I do think that I'm really the only one that can stop me from achieving my life's purpose. So that's that's all that's left for me to master is myself. No stopping. No stopping. <laughs> hey, I love it. Yeah. Well, that is it. We are wrapping up. I am so excited that you all were here. Lolita, <laughs> thank you so much for having me as a part of this conversation uh, with my good brothers. We don't get to speak enough. I'm hopeful that we provided some some insight and some nuggets that are meaningful and beneficial to folks listening. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So tell tell folks how they could get in touch with you. What you got going on? Because you got a bomb podcast that's out there too. So let's talk about it. Podcast is bubbling, baby. <laughs> Just Black Talking, all right? And uh, you can find that on Instagram. You can go anywhere you listen to your podcast. Come on and get with us. We talk about all the stuff you didn't know you wanted to know about. I had somebody tell me, it's a Black dude talking about white stuff. And I said, well, kind of, yeah. Because if you think it's only for white folks, I'm going to tell you how it ain't. (laughs) I know that's right. Yeah. Get it bubbling. Get it bubbling, baby. Let's bubble up to the top. Hmm? I got to keep up with these brothers. These guys got it going on. They writing books. I I like books. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. All right, Lamar, tell us where people could get in touch with you because you got a lot of stuff going on. Then we're going to go to Mervin and then we're going to end that one right there with Alan. Catch me on Instagram. You can follow at the underscore LBD1. Facebook at the LBD. I formerly was... Heard on Magic 102.3 and 92.7 in the D.C. area. And you probably can catch me somewhere else. I'm always out and about doing something, trying to keep up with these brothers right here. (laughs) I love it. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Mervin A. Bourne Jr. Um, You can find my book, A Single Mother's Guide to Raising a Son, on Amazon.com. And you can also uh, connect with me through my website, MervinBorn.com. Stay up to date on what I have new when my next book is coming out um, later this year and whatever other cool film projects I have going on that will be coming out soon. So, yeah, you can find me on the web at Momentum-Advisors.com. That's my, my website for my company, Momentum Advisors. We are financial planners and investment managers on Twitter at Momentum Advice. And there we talk about our podcast. Our podcast is centered around wealth building entrepreneurship and wealth creation really in the black community. Seriously, you guys are part of my tribe and I appreciate being in the man cave, but also you being on coaching cocktails and conversations, just allowing me a peek inside at the stairs. I didn't get all the way down, but you know, the stairs are good enough. (laughs) It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much, Louisa. Bring some drinks down here. We have concluded another episode of Coaching, Cocktails, and Conversations with Lolita E. Walker. Connect with me at lolitawalker.com for speaking, coaching, and my book, The Intersection of You and Change. Next time, bring a friend. Cheers. <laughs>